All right, this session is on overcoming depression. We're excited to have you here today for the Helping Hurting Hearts Conference at Mount Zion Baptist Church. In Psalm 42 and verse 5, the Bible says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Why art thou cast down, verse 11? That was verse 5, now verse 11, Psalm 42. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Depression is, well, it can paralyze a person, but it doesn't have to. Depression can range in severity from, well, a mild discouragement, that is a loss of confidence, that's usually short-lived. Uh, it can move to a serious despondency, <clears throat> number two. Uh, which is an extended discouragement, overall lowness of spirits, and uh, difficulty recouping. Or it could be, of the third type, a severe despair, a total loss of hope and courage, and sense of helplessness and resignation, just a giving up. Now, today we're going to look at four keys about depression. Number one, sorrow is not the same as despair. Sorrow is the taste of death, the emotion of loss. It is a reminder that an essential of life is missing. When we lose a loved one, we sense that loss in an emotion called sorrow. It's legitimate. It's the pain of the soul. It's a grief, we call it. Sorrow is not abnormal, nor is it a sin. Jesus wept. In the garden, Jesus was sorrowful. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 37, And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy, then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here, and watch with me, he said to his disciples. He was called the man of sorrows. But Jesus was not depressed. He was not in despair in that passage. Uh, depression and despair are accompanied by hopelessness, disinterest, often accompanied by self-pity. Rather, Jesus was experiencing sorrow, the emotion of loss. However, when a person doesn't seek God, his sorrow can turn to despair. God intends for him to sense his complete inability to fix the loss so he will return or turn to God in dependence. Emotions, well, they're kind of like dashboard lights to alert us 
to turn it over to God again. So our sorrow doesn't have to turn to despair if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior. If we do, then we have God. We are not alone on this earth. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh, worketh, worketh for us, a far more ex exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We have hope when we look at eternal things. We lose hope when we focus on on temporal things, or loved ones who have been taken from us, or the things of this life taken from us. For example, when Cassie, our granddaughter, died, I came home, took her picture down in the living room, I thought about her, and I cried all the time. I kept reading Psalms and talking to the Lord and talking to others, and I finally resolved that she was in heaven, and I couldn't do one thing to change it, nor because she was in heaven would I want to, other than my own selfish desire to have her here. Therefore, I determined that I had to move on. Oh, I still have times when I plan to remember and weep and mourn. I go to the gravesite or I watch a video of her, or I look through our pictures of her, and I shed a tear. But I can't let myself return to the what-if and the self-pity and dwelling on the loss. It's counterproductive and is dwelling on the temporal. God evidently is not done with me yet, and I can't fetter my life away with what coulda, shoulda, woulda been, I refuse to dwell on it by an act of my will. God is good, and he's good all the time. She is in heaven, and I'll see her again one day, and that's that. If I don't do that, I can move toward despondency, depression, maybe even despair, rather than trusting in what God said. So, that's sorrow. Sorrow is not the same as depression or despair. Number two, depression leading to despair is much different. Depression, uh, we have to understand uh, regarding depression, the symptoms. Depression is often accompanied by insomnia, can't sleep, or the other side of it, excessive sleep, covering your head with the pillow to block out the world. I've done that. Uh, poor, it's accompanied by poor appetite, or the opposite of that, overeating. Um, it's accompanied by restlessness. It's accompanied by difficulty concentrating, having scattered thoughts. Depression is accompanied by an unkempt appearance, 
You get to where you don't care. A sad look. Uh, stooped shoulders. Sleeping in every day. Starting the day way late. Uh, headaches. Backaches. Moodiness. It's a cut. Uh, depression is accompanied by seldom laughing. Uh, frequent cries. Sitting and staring into space. Nothing is funny to the depressed. Regarding depression, we also must understand the causes, not only the symptoms, but the causes. What are the two primary causes of depression? Well, one is organic and one is non-organic. Organic causes uh, are things like a reaction to a medication or an illicit drug, poor eating habits, medical problems, fatigue, uh, not getting enough sleep, things like that. Non-organic uh, causes for depression are things like the loss of someone or something, such as a job or money or friend or house or family member, or the loss of control, loss of respect, loss of fellowship, uh, loss of fellowship with God or a failure to reach a goal, the circumstances of life. We see this in the Old Testament, the first book, uh, in Cain, when God rejected his offering. In Genesis 4, 5, the Bible says, But unto Cain and his offering, he, talking about God, had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and watch this, and his countenance fell. He became angry and sunk into a depression. And God warned him in the sub subsequent verses, verse 6 and 7, but Cain disregarded God's solution and he murdered his brother in verse 8. So uh, Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him, killed him, first murder in the Bible. And God meted out judgment on Cain in verses 9 through 16. You can make your depression worse if you disregard God's solution. You're pouring gas on a fire when you do that. King Ahab became depressed, and he went the wrong way. The prophet Elijah also became depressed, but he looked to God, and he found a solution. In 1980, we moved to a new ministry. The pastor was dishonest and changed our wages several times, and a, another preacher had cheated us out of some finance, and he had dumped new responsibility on me that we never discussed, even though we had a contract, and I felt trapped. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like you were in a situation and you couldn't get out of it? And I became very depressed. I had very dark thoughts, the worst thoughts probably in my whole life. Dark thoughts about ministry. I was ready to quit. About people. I wanted to withdraw from everybody. And dark thoughts about myself. Two things helped me out of that depression. 
I expressed it to Shirley, and Shirley helped me think through it and think clearly. And I'm, I'm sure she prayed for me, too. She always does. And I expressed it to God, and I let him speak to me. I was able to turn it around to seek God with a fresh vigor and find my strength in him and in his word, the Bible. You see, that preacher could not preach very well and was not feeding my soul either. And so I developed a life pattern from that of getting in the word and feeding myself. You know, toddlers, we teach them how to feed themselves. We as Christians ought to grow out of the toddler stage and feed ourselves. And though I was in the ministry, I was, I did that, but not as well as I did after this situation. The Old Testament prophet Jonah became depressed and initially went the wrong way, but then he looked to God and came out of it with a fresh assignment. Maybe you started out wrong on the road to depression, but it doesn't mean you have to keep going that way. Depression is not committed to the Lord, uh, that's not committed to the Lord, leads to a downward spiral uh, and uh, to despair where we think that there's no way out. It's serious. So serious that we must not accept it. The believer in God must confront this when he sees it in his life. Notice first that when you're cast down, you have to talk to yourself. Boy, this is a tremendous thought now. I want you to get this. You have to talk to yourself and remind yourself to hope in God. That's what David did in our text. He's talking to himself, and he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? See, he's talking to himself. Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. David commanded his soul to hope in God. The soul of man is his mind, will, and emotions. No one has had lost has lost as much as David. Think of it. He lost his access to the temple. He lost his throne. He lost his freedom. He lost a son, lost a daughter, lost another son, lost his best friend, Jonathan. But he looked to God, and he wrote about it in the Psalms, and David told his soul how it would respond. He commanded his soul how to respond. He determined that his soul was going to hope in God. Then notice in verse 5, he's looking to God and thanking him for the help of seeing his, God's, countenance. But in verse 11, he's thanking God for restoring the health of his own countenance, David's countenance. Difference between verses 5 and and 11 of Psalm 42. Turn your heart back to God by a conscious act of your will. Deal with the heart issues first. Again, if you have never come to Christ, repenting of your sin and believing he died for your sins, come today. 
deal with that. That is first. <clears throat> the third, third thing I want to go through with you is beware of self-pity. Self-pity, which can lead to depression. Some dwell on self-pity, which will lead to negative thinking, discouragement, and depression ultimately. Woe is me, everything becomes about you. You get a victim's mentality. Cain resorted to self-pity in Genesis 4 when he asked God, Am I my brother's keeper? His thoughts were wrong. Jonah wallowed in self-pity in Jonah 4, and he asked to die. Elijah said, And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life. <clears throat> when you engage in self-pity, you have to actively reject that thinking and turn your thoughts toward the Lord. Talk to yourself. Don't let your mind talk to you. Number four, how can, I, how can we handle depression biblically? How do we do that? Well, first, we have to deal with the heart issue and the thoughts of loss. Well, they breed sorrow. And sorrow without hope leads to despair. Therefore, be careful how you muse and what you choose when you lose. Be careful how you muse and what you choose when you lose. Thinking on your losses without God in the picture, leads to depression. But you don't have to do that. If you know Christ, you have God. Therefore, factor his power into the equation and never let yourself think about your loss without God's presence and consider uh, the consideration of his word. And that brings us back to our text in Psalm 42, verses 5, and let's see, 42, 5, and verse 11. <clears throat> Again, in these verses, I'll restate it for you because it's a great point. He talked to himself. He talked to his soul, and he commanded his soul to hope thou in God. So we have to turn our heart back to God by a conscious act of our will and deal with the heart issues first. That's how you deal with depression. Deal with your heart first. Number two, how to deal with depression biblically? Rule out physical problems. Deal with your heart first. Make sure you're right with God. Talk to yourself uh, that you're not going to give in to the depression. But then, <coughs> rule out physical problems. Depression can be caused by some kind of chemical imbalance. A simple test can determine this. And uh, first, you check your heart spiritually. And if you deal with your heart issues, then get a physical workup to rule out physical problems. 
we have counseled numbers of people with depression in our ministry throughout the years. Shirley had a very serious problem <clears throat> at about age 38. We've been, uh, we've seen several find sources uh, of their problem from a test that the doctor ordered. <clears throat> and that's what happened with Shirley. Uh, when she got the test and she found out what was lacking, we were able to address it, and she came out of uh, that tailspin in her life. Your body is wonderfully made and must be kept in a delicate balance. Sometimes it just needs a trigger mechanism to jumpstart an organ to produce the hormone or the chemical that you need for a sense of well-being. So uh, address any physical situations first. Maybe get a physical workup from your doctor. Number three, how can I deal with depression biblically? Renew your mind. Renew, renew your mind, Ephesians 4.23. Ask yourself, what does God think? What is his perspective? What's his take on this situation? Ephesians 4.23 says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The way to renew your mind is to meditate on biblical truths that teach God's perspective on our problem. God's nature. What is God like? And the biblical patterns that we can put into practice in our situation. When I want to bake a cake, for example, I put ingredients in a mixing bowl, such as yeast and warm. put it in warm water with some salt and some baking soda. But if I stop there, boy, you say, your cake wouldn't be very tasty, and you'd be right. <clears throat> to make a good cake, you've got to add to the yeast and the salt and the, the water and the baking soda things like flour, oil, honey, and other things to make it tasty. In depression, that's the way it is with the person's thinking. They dwell on some, some of the aspects of their problem, but they're missing God in their mixing bowl. They fail to see how great their father's love and wisdom and power is. He is able to deliver in their situation too. It's not just other people. He cares about you. He still has a plan for your life. And that may be one reason he brought you here today, to get God back into the recipe of your life. One writer said, I suggest that the main problem in depression is that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of us talking to ourselves. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30 and verse 6. 1 Samuel 30 verse 6. David taught us how to do this when he looked, I mean, everything in his life looked bleak and the people wanted to stone him yet. In 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, and David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons 
and for his daughters. But David, watch this, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. This is also what the songwriter had in mind when he wrote the hymn, Be Still My Soul. It was a hymn of speaking to yourself. Listen to the words. Be still, my soul. The Lord is on your side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. Leave to your Lord to order and provide. In every change, God faithful will remain. Be still, my soul. Your best, your heavenly friend, through thorny ways, leads to a joyful end. Second verse. Be still, my soul. Your God will undertake to guide the future as in ages past. Your hope, your confidence, let nothing shake. All now mysterious shall be bright at last. Be still, my soul. The waves and winds still know the Christ who ruled them when he dwelt below. The third verse, he's still talking to his soul. Be still, my soul. The hour is hastening on, when we shall be forever with the Lord. When disappointment, grief, and fear are gone, sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past, all safe and blessed, we shall meet at last. Renew your mind. Talk to your soul. Boy, that's a great one. Don't forget that one. How can we deal with depression biblically? Well, deal with the hopelessness. Depression is the result of our sorrowing without hope. We lose hope when we start thinking that things will never get better or that there's no purpose for the pain. Therefore, we must combat hopelessness. The biblical response goes this way. Loss brings sorrow, brings hope and comfort from God. The unbiblical response goes this way. Loss brings sorrow, but there's no hope, and depression sets in. We've tried everything, and nothing works. We become exasperated, and our Uh, We say, well, our wagon is dragon. We can't sustain any emotion without thought. None of us can. Feelings of love is, they are sustained by thinking on that person. I think of my wife often. I love my wife. And I have to have thoughts of her to continue to love her. Anger can only be sustained by thought on that person or that situation that we're upset about. So that's how emotions are sustained by thought. Likewise, sorrow is sustained by thinking of our loss over and over and over again. We become obsessed. So the thought of sorrow must be replaced by thoughts of truth and hope from God and from his word. But what about that spouse that never gets right? What about that child that never comes back to God that we prayed for? 
What about that boss that never treats you right? What about that situation that never improves? What about these feelings and thoughts that never go away? Listen, our hope can't be in the prospect of change, but rather our hope must be in God himself. This is the lively hope that Peter said that we ought to have in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us unto a lively hope. We could say a living hope, uh, but a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I think some have become too introspective. I think that they sit and think and overthink their problems. I tend to be like that myself, and I have to fight it. For those like me, God wants us to rest in certain truths. Could I rehearse them with you? Number one, I'm not going to hell because I've received Christ as my Savior. I will go to heaven one day. So my future looks bright. Number two, I am God's child and he's promised to take care of me in this life. He'll never leave nor forsake me. Number three, great truth. God, as my shepherd, can take care of my wants. Psalm 23, 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Number four, God will never leave nor forsake me. Hebrews 13, 5, I mentioned earlier. Number five, he will not put more on me than I can bear. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And number six, I can have the right perspective on my trials and even rejoice in God as my hope, though I'm going through a trial. 1 Peter 1, 6 says, wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more uh, precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with the fire, might be found unto praise and glory, uh, honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Oh, brethren, that's the perspective Peter had and we can have. Sometimes life has this uh, bittersweet mix of heaviness and yet rejoicing. Paul spoke of this mix in his life in 2 Corinthians 6.10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, 2 Corinthians 6.10, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. Dr. Bob Jones used to say, when Paul came to town, he checked out the jails, not the motels. He knew that he'd be checking in very soon. <laughs> Is anyone here facing jail time for their stand for God? I don't think so. How about beatings or court or persecutions? If Paul, now we might in the future, but if Paul could face his trials, Peter could face his, Jesus faced his. 
we can examine our heart, renew our mind, and rejoice even in our smaller trials. Get this now. Here's an important nugget. Joy comes from seeing God in the picture, not from everything going well. Joy comes from seeing God in the picture, not from everything going well. What's your perspective? One couple lost their three-year-old, but rejoiced that she just breathed her first air of heaven. That's an amazing thought. And God gave that to them, and it comforted them. Some situations are beyond our control. There's no doubt about it. Therefore, we have to yield them to God and get back to rejoicing in his watch care in our lives. Here's what we as Christians can have uh, as hope in discouraging and troubling circumstances. Romans 12.12, rejoicing in hope. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God, Romans 5.2, and 12.12, rejoicing in hope. And that's what we need to do. How can we deal with depression biblically? Number five, use praise as a weapon. Use praise as a weapon. We're back to Psalm 42, our text. 42.5, why are why art thou disquieted? I mean, cast down, O my soul. Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Verse 11. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance. David determined I shall praise him. When King Jehoshaphat and his nation, Judah, faced their arch enemies, uh, Ammon and Moab, two other nations, and things really looked bleak. God responded when they began to praise his name in the face of their trial. We read about it in Second Corinthians tw- uh, Cor- uh, Chronicles, sorry, Second Chronicles 20, verse 22. And when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, the Lord set ambushment, uh, ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which is Edom, uh, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Oh, in my chemotherapy treatments. One day I just spent an hour doing nothing but lifting up the name of God. I started out and thanked him for my parents. And I went through everything I could think of in my history where I could see God. And I just praised him. And God brought me through that trial. Don't skip this powerful tool. Use it sincerely. It helps you get your mind off of your problem. Praise him from your heart. How can we deal with depression? Well, I'll just read these two years. We're running out of time. But look for God's divine purpose in your trial. Number one, he has six purposes in your trial. Number one, to promote your spiritual maturity. 
James 1, 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. You're maturing. And let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That you may be mature, we could have said. Per perfect and entire means mature, fully equipped. And God has the purpose of that in our trials, that we may grow in him. The second purpose that we need to keep in mind is to promote endurance. Endurance is the ability to turn adversity into spiritual prosperity. James 1.12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to him, uh, them that love him. Number three, God has this purpose, to provide the opportunity for re re rewards. James 1.12, endure and you receive a crown of life. Amen, that's a good trade. Number four, purpose, to prove your faith. 1 Peter 1.6 through 8. You know, car manufacturers make claims for their cars. However, they run them through tests to make sure that they can do what they claim they can do. And they call that area a proving ground. And our trials are like that. They're a proving ground to prove our faith. And uh, number, what was the last one there? That was number four. Number five to provide opportunities to witness for Christ because people won't understand how you can make it through your trial. They aren't going to understand. They're going to say, how do you do that? And you have an opportunity to tell them about your great God that's bringing you through. First Peter 3.15, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So you'll have opportunity to witness. Another purpose, number six, to help others who suffer. This is a great one. Second Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. When you learn how to find God's comfort in your trials, then you can show that to others. You can show God to others. It's not that we ordered these trials. Joseph had a lot of things come up that weren't on his daytimer or his out, outlook task list. But when they did come up, he took them to the Lord. Discouragement and depression. These are formidable foes. But with God's help, we can overcome them. I wonder if God gave you an answer today in this lesson. If he did, Communicate that to Pastor Starr at Mount Zion Baptist Church. Let it be an encouragement to him as well. God bless you.